Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part two of our class, The Art of Storytelling. And in this particular session, we are looking at the hero's journey and stories of transformation, how, how the hero is transformed, the protagonist is transformed, and how that even relates to the way that we share our own stories. Uh, in the class, I actually played a song on my acoustic guitar, which I did not record, so I'm putting the recorded version here at first called A Reluctant Hero, which ties into what I'm talking about once we get into the lecture. So that explains the song that you're going to hear in just a second. So let's go do it. Something inside 
Joseph Campbell in here? Dun, 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 dun. Uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, I, I've not read a whole lot of his stuff, but uh, if you haven't read anything by Joseph Campbell, you've certainly encountered his ideas. Uh, has anybody seen the, a, a little movie called Star Wars? <laughs> well, Star Wars, actually, George Lucas uh, had studied Joseph Campbell's work a great deal. Actually, I think Joseph Campbell actually consulted him on the writing of the script. Um, Joseph Campbell had, had come up with this idea of the hero's journey because he had studied myths from around the world. Uh, and, and we we can throw. You might not like to think of Christianity as a myth or the Old Testament. Uh, it's not not a myth in the sense of they're not true, but that they are kind of the founding stories. And he he found something in common with all aspects of these founding myths. Um, oftentimes, and and we can talk about it just in terms of of movies today. Um, Think of Lord of the Rings. You have this character named Frodo Baggins, who's a hobbit, who just kind of like this, this song that I wrote. A hobbit just wants a simple life. A hobbit just wants to live in a little hobbit hole, have first breakfast, second breakfast, you know, plant a garden, smoke a pipe, have some pints of beer. That's a hobbit's, you know, dream. And we see that, that Frodo Baggins, in the beginning of the movie, he is this... You know, like any other hobbit, just wants to keep to himself and have a simple life. And then Gandalf the wizard comes by, he finds this ring, and then he gets thrust out of something normal. There is an inciting incident that launches him into this journey, breaks him out of his comfort zone. And then Frodo Baggins goes off to fight uh, an external enemy, and yet 
It is in the process of fighting that external enemy that he actually has to confront things within. And that's the way it is, whether it's in these, these you know, massive myth stories that make up humankind, but it's also the same in us, right? Uh, and, and this is what we're going we're gonna to bring this down to a personal level here in a second. So it's not just uh, The Hobbit. It's Luke Skywalker. It's Nemo. <laughs> uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, you know, it... it Probably 90% of the movies that are out there right now, Braveheart, Gladiator, uh, even, even when you think of, of kind of romantic comedies, it's the hero's journey when Harry met Sally. It is this, this guy who's trying to get to a certain goal or, or this girl who's trying to get to a certain goal. They faced obstacles. They experienced transformation along the way. And by the end of the story, whether they got what they wanted or not, the real battle has actually been fought inside, and it's really a story of transformation. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis, but C.S. Lewis is probably one of the most uh, well-known or important Christian writers of the last century. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity. Uh, I've read a lot of his books, and uh, his books still stand up here to, you know, almost 100 years later, things that he wrote back in the 30s. It's still important. But it's interesting because C.S. Lewis was an atheist, but he developed a friendship with J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings. J.R.R. Tolkien was a devout Catholic who C.S. Lewis credits with leading him to the Lord. And how did he lead him to the Lord? Because of their shared love of myths. They were both, I think, at Oxford uh, University in England, and they were both studying like ancient Anglo-Saxon and Celtic myths. And, and um, Tolkien said that uh, C.S. Lewis should think of the resurrection as true myth. The resurrection is a mythical event in that it's cosmic in its scope, that it explains the basic questions of life and does so using a fantastical twist in the story. A human being coming back to life. Now, Tolkien said, you simply must see that this myth has the added weight of having actually happened. And it was this one conversation, uh, you know, because what, what Tolkien saw was that the Jesus story, you know, and, and really Jesus' story is the classic hero's journey. Jesus is born in not, you know, amazing circumstances. He's born to what would have been looked at that time like, his mom's a single mom. I mean, she was married, but he's kind of a bastard, you know, in a sense of he's not Joseph's son. He's got a different baby daddy. Um, <laughs> and he grows up in Palestine, uh, in, in rural areas. There's, there's nothing amazing about Jesus if you looked at it on the surface. And yet, God does this amazing work. Jesus has to, to, to go through this process of facing, you know, stepping into who he is, facing the, the taunts of the enemies. And Jesus ultimately faces death and comes out the other side. And, and it's, it's not just a, uh, a figurative transformation. It is Jesus comes out with a resurrected body that's upgraded and stuff. So it's, it's, it's the, it is the hero's journey kind of. And, and that's kind of what Tolkien was getting at is that Christianity, the story of Jesus, is really kind of the core story uh, 
on which all other story of which all other great stories are mere shadows. And so one thing we're going to talk about tonight is kind of taking this into our own journey because I've noticed as I've studied the hero journey as I've studied kind of uh, this this narrative arc that you see of uh, in, in all the great stories that it's also a story something that I see in my life when I've experienced transformation. So I want to tell you a story tonight <clears throat> that starts off back in 1995. I found myself all the way on the other side of the world, exactly the other side of the world. I didn't have to set my watch uh, because I was exactly 12 hours off axis. So when it's 10 o'clock over here, it was 10 o'clock over there, just 12 hours different. And so I'm on the other side of the world in Indonesia. I had the opportunity of going over there to play music with uh, some, so a band that was uh, doing a youth camp there at, uh, for expats living in Indonesia. See, these were all kids of like oil people and that, that spoke English. And so we were doing a youth camp for them. It was awesome. So I'm probably about 23 years old at the time. Go over there. And the family that I was staying with, they were executives with Shell Oil. And, and one day the dad said, hey, would you like to go bungee jumping? This was the 90s, and that was a thing. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'd love to go bungee jumping. You buy it? And he said, yeah. So I'm like, this may be the only time I ever bungee jump. So they took me to this place where we go bungee jumping. And in Indonesia, I, I suspect they don't have quite the regulations on bungee jumping that we do over here. So it was really a lot higher than any bungee jumping I'd seen over here. But the thing is, when, when you're sitting out there, and basically they had this huge tower that went up, I don't know, 10 stories, 12 stories, way up in the air, with a little platform that came out, and it was above a swimming pool, a huge swimming pool. And so when you're sitting, looking up this tower, it's like, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. But it's a, it's a profoundly different experience than when you find yourself up there at the top of this tower looking down 10 stories into the water. And they asked me a question when I got up there at the top. They said, would you like to do regular bungee jumping or would you rather be dunked in the pool? And I'm thinking, well, this is the only time I'm ever going to bungee jump. I might as well get dunked, you know. And because uh, that sounds pretty cool. I don't know that option back in the States. So I said, I want to do that. So they rig up my legs and tie me to this giant bungee cord. And I'm standing there on the edge looking down into the water. Now, intellectually, in my mind, I could tell myself, nobody has ever died at this place. They've got a perfect safety record. Uh, they, they've got good safety equipment. Like, in my mind, I could tell my reason, all, my, myself all the reasons why I'm going to make it through this. But in my gut, in my instincts, my physical body is revolting. It's like, this feels like suicide. This is going to be the end. That's where I was. Eight or ten years later, I found myself in a different type of situation. I'd come on staff at the Kenner Vineyard in New Orleans, or well, actually in Kenner. <laughs> uh, and I was the worship leader down there. When they hired me, they were doing five weekend services. And by the end of my first year, they were up to seven weekend services. There were weekends between leading worship 
at five weekend services and playing music on the side, little gigs outside of the church, I was singing for 22 hours in a two and a half day period. Uh, never had lost my voice before going to work at the vineyard. And I, I was, so needless to say, by the end of that first year, I was really starting to get burned out. I led about seven years worth of vineyard worship in one year, you know, compared to most vineyard worship leaders I know. Now, I had this, when I, when I had been offered the job there, I was starting to get to a point in my life where I was beginning to struggle with some things that I, I just didn't like and I was ashamed of. And, and I thought, when they offered me this job, I was like, I'm going to go to work for a church and I won't have a struggle because I'm going to be around Christians all the time. <laughs> and we're going to be we're going to be working together and praying together and and I realized like no you, you you still have problems you know I I think the honeymoon period I didn't have many issues for about 6 7 months but the grind of everything the burnout the not knowing how to you know take control of my life and do it in a healthy way it just caught up with me and I, I began to to struggle again with the very things that I thought I'd put behind me and I was in a, a horrible place because I felt ashamed of who I was I felt like I was a lousy husband I was I was a hypocrite all these things and I heard about a worship leaders retreat for vineyard worship leaders up in Estes Park, Colorado. So I signed up to go to this thing. And I told Dina, right before I left, I said, Dina, I'm going to go get around some vineyard worship leaders, figure out if I is one. And if I am, then I'm going to stay. But if, 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 I, if I spend this week up there and I think these are a bunch of lunatics, I'm quitting my job when I get back because I can't do this anymore. Needless to say, I get up there to uh, Estes Park, and the opening session on the first day we were there, this old guy gets up. And he begins to share how he had struggled with the same things that I was struggling with for the first 10 years he was a Christian. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, God, I thought we were going to learn about the latest worship songs or something. And you brought me up here to do this. And I was like, okay, I get it, God. And so the guy gets done teaching. And he says, okay, we're going to break up into our small groups. We each had a small group we were assigned to for that whole week. And there, there was one problem, though, because my small group leader was a guy by the name of Reagan Wagner. And I didn't know Reagan Wagner at the time, but I knew his dad. Well, I didn't really know his dad, but I knew who his dad was. His dad was the director of the National Vineyard Movement. And I'm thinking, this is horrible, because I feel like I've got to come clean here. I need to confess my sins. I need to, to come to the light. But my small group leader is the son of the national director, and I'm pretty sure there's a blacklist of vineyard worship leaders, and the moment I open my mouth, I'm going to be on that list. This may be the end. I'll, I'll never lead worship at another vineyard worship, uh, vineyard church again. And so I'm sitting there in my small group. Other guys are talking a little bit, and I finally I said, you know what? I don't care. I would rather never lead worship again than to just live in this dark place. I want to come to the light. And I found in that moment, the emotions that I was feeling felt very much like when I was in Indonesia, standing on the edge of that platform, looking down 10 stories, knowing in my mind, this is probably going to work out okay, but everything in my body revolting. But just like in Indonesia, I had to take a step. Actually, in Indonesia, I think they nudged me off. <laughs> 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 
And perhaps the nudging for me came when another guy who struggled with the same things that I was struggling with opened his mouth. And it gave me some permission. I, I began to already get a, get a picture because that's, that's the way this stuff is. When we struggle with things, oftentimes we think we're the only ones. I jumped. I opened my mouth. I confessed my sins. I confessed my struggles. And it was the very same kind of feeling as when I jumped off of that platform. It was like a big weight had come off of me. I felt alive. I felt like I was living again. Everything wasn't solved, <laughs> but I'd faced the thing that I was most afraid of. The thing that felt like suicide, or at least career suicide, was not the ending for me. In fact, it was the beginning. It was the point in my life where things began to change in a big way. The end. Or the beginning. <laughs> <clears throat> So, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a little story of mine on transformation. Uh, do y'all have any thoughts on that story? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to give me good feedback, but uh, anything you notice in that story? I mean, I'm, I'm not looking for... Yeah. I'm trying to do like a recycling thing, but uh, bringing it back. But this looks like a bad G. <laughs> so what did I use to 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 do that? Because I could have I could have just told you, and I have just shared that story before without the bungee jumping part. But really. I think what helps that story to be effective, I mean, it could be an effective story by itself, but I do think, you know, by starting off with something, you know, and, that, and that, that part came in reflection of my own story. Like, what was it like when I opened up to these guys that I didn't even know, and I'm new to the vineyard? You know, like, is there another experience in my life that parallels that, maybe, but maybe in a completely different way? And that's when, you know, like... The bungee jumping feels like suicide thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm spilling bungee jumping. Bungee jumping. We'll call it EE. -E. Um, but that's where that became kind of the central uh, metaphor. You know, last week when we were in this class, we were listening to a couple of stories from the Moth podcast. And they each had kind of a central metaphor or symbol. Uh, one was the record, the vinyl record of Chuck Berry. Um, and I'm forgetting what the other story was. Stevie Wonder song. Yeah, so in both of these stories, uh, and, and I think the one with the, yeah, isn't she lovely? Uh, the vinyl record of Chuck Berry in the, in the first story, I thought was just a, that was a brilliant thing that, that kind of makes the story catch you off guard because at first, you, you know, you're kind of thinking this is a story about a son and his dad and then it moves to music and then, then you realize that this one thing actually changed the course of this guy's life but the, but the unifying metaphor and all that is this record. And I think this is where storytelling is a little bit of an art 
you know, if you want to get artful with, with telling a story, it's not just telling your story, but finding a unique metaphor, symbol, whether it's from another, you know, for me, bungee jumping was something from, from my actual story. So I had, I had another experience I could draw from that I could compare this to. Um, but in the, the record story, you know, the, the Chuck Berry thing, that kind of held a different space. And so I think that, you know, as we try to communicate our stories, part of it is learning how to, you know, write your own story, get your own story down. But then once you get your story down, maybe then try to look for, as I reflect over my own story, what are the emotions that stand out to me? And what are comparative things? What, are, what, what is that like, you know? Is it like the depression that I was feeling? Is it like suffocating? Like that time I had a, a panic attack on a roller coaster. Is it like, uh, you know, is, is it like, a, you know, just finding something that helps your audience enter into that, whether they've experienced that same thing or not. Um, so, yeah, so for me, bungee jumping becomes that, that metaphor that really helps the audience feel like that. Because I think if I had just told you all the story without the bungee jumping thing, you, you might have felt the emotions a little bit. But there is something a little bit more exhilarating about it, you know, and, and it kind of brings you into a different space. Um, so the, the exercise tonight, we actually gave some homework last week, but we're going to let, if you did the homework last week, you, then you've kind of got a head start on the first exercise tonight. Let's see how many people got. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I guess we can just do two groups. We'll do us four and y'all four and see how this works. Um, I want you to think in your own life. Uh, of transformation, some point in your life where you changed. Maybe it was a change in your character. Maybe it was uh, a major change um, that you were just navigating in your circumstances. Um, how did you feel? Oh, yeah, I want to say this other quote. I've used this on many different occasions. Richard Rohr, he said this so many different times. <laughs> He's a Franciscan priest. He says, change happens in us through great love or great suffering. And I think that this is one of the keys to transformation. If you reflect over your own life, when I think of my own life, like even that story I just shared, uh, the suffering was kind of keeping this thing hidden. You know, I mean, it was killing me. You know, it's like I I'm, I'm, I'm feel like I'm, I'm a hypocrite. I'm, I'm hiding this stuff. I feel ashamed. Um, but it was also great love because when I shared this thing, these other guys, they didn't beat me up. They didn't throw rocks. They didn't accuse me. They prayed for me and accepted me, and I didn't get blacklisted <laughs> like I was afraid. Uh, but I, I think most of the time, if we reflect over the times in our lives where we've experienced great change, it has usually come out of heartache, breakup, you know, losing a job, having your dreams crushed. It is in those moments because we don't change when everything's going good, do we? You know, like when all the bills are getting paid, 
everything's good. You don't change. You're, it's status quo. You're okay. It takes something to break us into another reality. And now, now we're fighting for our life. So these are some questions to consider. And we're going to take, um, we'll probably take 10 minutes to kind of go through these. But before you experience the, the, the kind of moment of transformation, and transformation is a process, but I think there's usually some kind of moment where you have at least a breakthrough. I need to just turn my phone off. Um, sorry. How did you feel before the breakthrough moment? Try, try to really put words and adjectives to the feeling before you experience the transformation. What type of thoughts had you been thinking? Write down sentences that, that, that encapsulate the thoughts because those might be the very building for the, the story you're sharing. Um, list three adjectives that described you before you experienced the change. How were you like beforehand? Um, what was the precipitating incident or circumstance which led you to making a decision in your life? Am, am I, is this the same? I'm, I've got two sets of notes here, so yeah, okay. I, <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, and then B would be the transforming event, event. Describe the moment when you had a breakthrough. You began the process of transformation. What factors came together for you to experience that change? How were other people involved in this event? And then finally, a new chapter. How did this event change the way you looked at yourself, others, and God? How were you different from that point on? What were the gifts that you received from the process? And what were the new challenges that you faced after that transforming event? We're going to spend maybe 10 minutes or so reflecting over this. And uh, if you need to, we've got plenty of room in here tonight. If you want to just, you know, find your little corner of the room to sit and reflect, that's fine. Um, and then in 10 or 15 minutes, we'll get together. And we're not looking for the stories to be absolutely polished tonight. But once you kind of go through these, these questions here, do what we did last week where you just kind of write down an intro, a body, a conclusion, that's based on, on what you've written in those things. And then we're going to, the last part of tonight, we're going to break up into groups, and everybody's going to get eight minutes to share their story of transformation. What? You just stuck out your tongue, and you went. That's why we're all here. Yeah. Okay. So, without further ado, I'll... Uh, Let's see, what time is it right now? 7.48. Yeah, we'll take, uh, would y'all rather have 10 minutes or 15 minutes? 10? All in favor of 10? Okay, I'll set a timer for 10 minutes, and we'll get back to it right after that. Have at it. 